welcome to the STI podcast. I'm um, Dr. Claire Tanton and I'm an epidemiologist at UCL and I'm one of the lead analysts of the third British National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles, which is NatSel3 for short. Um, and my name is Chris Lewis. I'm a medical student at the University of Birmingham. Uh, I undertook an intercalated BMED Sci in Public Health and Population Sciences and have undertaken a project looking at the sexual behaviour of backpackers who visit Thailand. Okay, so today we're going to be discussing um, travel and sex um, and drawing on our two pieces of recent research. So uh, one of these is the analysis that I've um, carried out of the latest data on sex while abroad from NatSel3. And the second, as Chris mentioned, is a study he carried out um, on backpackers in Thailand. So perhaps we should start by mentioning why STIs and HIV are an issue for people travelling abroad. Um, and I think firstly, we need to say that those who have sex while abroad are, tend to be a higher risk group. So from our research, they tend to report higher partner numbers um, and other sexual and health risk behaviours. Um, but travel can also facilitate sexual encounters so people can meet new, new um, people. Um, there's an anonymity uh, with being away from home and in certain contexts some sexual taboos um, can be loosened. And depending on the context in which people are travelling they may also be drinking or using drugs more than usual which may make unprotected sex more likely. Um, so STI risk is clearly dependent on the characteristics of a partnership and also the STI prevalence in the place of residence of the partner. Um, and since people can travel to countries where the prevalence of STIs and HIV is higher than we have here in the UK, there's the potential for people having sex abroad to act as a bridge from areas of high to low STI and HIV prevalence. Um, but there are implications for STI transmission both to and from UK residents, especially since we see that people often have partners from the UK. So probably at this point, it's worth highlighting um, one of the key differences between our two pieces of work. Um, so NatSel is a um, general probability sample survey of the general population, around 15,000 men and women aged 16 to 74. So in that cell, we asked people whether they travelled outside the UK for any reason over the past five years. And then we asked those who travelled abroad whether they'd had sex for the first time with anyone while they were abroad. So we're going to be capturing people who've travelled for lots of, lots of different reasons. So whether it's a short holiday, a longer trip, whether they're visiting um, friends or family, um, whether they're travelling for business and also whether they're specifically travelling. Um, so so, so NatSal is um, a large probability sample survey addresses lots of different areas of sexual behaviour. So we only have very limited data on sex while abroad, whereas I think, Chris, yours was a much more detailed study focusing on the sexual behaviour of backpackers in Thailand. That's absolutely right. So we undertook a cross-sectional study in Thailand and we collected data from the location. So we looked specifically at backpackers that means we excluded anyone who was travelling for commercial, for business reasons, or for reasons of sex tourism specifically. Uh, we gave out paper questionnaires, and as a result, our sample size was around 2,000. Um, it was considerable, but much smaller than the, uh, the data set that NatSAL looked at. Um, but having this focus study allowed us to explore a little bit more about the, the, the backpackers themselves. So we collected information about their demographics, their age, their gender, uh, their country of um, origin, and um, information about the length of their trip as well. And then the, um, the questionnaire explored various aspects of their sexual history on their travel. Um, that included the, um, whether they were traveling with a long-term partner, um, and if they were, they were excluded from the data analysis. 
So we only looked at, uh, we only analysed the data of people who are travelling without a long-term sexual partner. Uh, we then asked uh, some information about their preparation for travel and their behaviour on the trip in terms of numbers of new partners, uh, whether those partners were male or female, uh, where those partners were from, and whether they'd used condoms consistently with those partners. So our data collection took place on Koh Phangan and Koh Tao, which are two popular islands on the classic backpacker circuit of Thailand and Southeast Asia. Uh, Thailand was chosen as a destination because we know it's the most popular backpacking location currently, and it attracts a, a large number of young people from the UK and from all over the world. And the, the islands acted as a bottleneck for backpackers. Uh, we collected data from the pier, um, and the, one of the beauties of these two locations was that the only public transport on and off the islands uh, is from a pier setup, and that meant that by collecting data from those piers, we were able to comprehensively sample data from all backpackers that left the island. Okay, so so Chris, what we um, I'm really interested to know what um, some of your findings were. So uh, just to give a bit of context, I guess for what we found from NatSal. So as we've talked about, we've got quite different um, samples of people, um, and we're capturing quite different um, angles of the sex uh, while travelling. So in terms of our data, what we found was that around one in ten men and one in twenty women had had sex with someone for the first time while abroad in the last five years. And about the same proportion of partnerships, so about 10% of men's partnerships and about 5% of women's partnerships were actually these partnerships that began while overseas. Um, and for us, we had quite um, a low average number of partners. So the average number of partners people um, had while overseas was one. Um, although for men, we did have a kind of sizable proportion of men who had lots of partners. So about 5% of men reported that they'd had 14 or more partners while overseas. Um, and we know we kind of know from these data that this is like an important context for people to form partnerships. So among those people who reported that they'd had sex overseas, a third of men's and a quarter of women's partnerships had begun while overseas. So that's actually quite a lot. Um, I just wondered um, how this compares to some of your, your data on travellers. We found that around a third of our backpackers who were travelling without a partner, a long-term sexual partner, um, engaged in sex with a new partner while they were abroad uh, on this trip. The majority of these were encounters with people of the opposite gender and the, the numbers were too small in order to undertake specific analysis for men who have sex with men who the literature suggests are a particularly high-risk group. Uh, we found that younger people particularly those under the age of 25, were more likely to engage in unprotected sex with a new partner. And this is in keeping with the national public health data that has been collected across the world, in fact. We found, interestingly, that there was a considerable difference in the risk-taking behaviour of backpackers from different parts of the world. So we found that British backpackers and Swedish backpackers um, exhibited much lower rates, much lower rates of safe sex compared with backpackers from Canada. Um, now, one of the interesting things to tease apart from this data set is the difference in having sex with a new partner versus having unprotected sex with a new partner. And there are some risk factors 
um, such as being male and travelling for a longer period of time, which seem to expose backpackers to higher risks of um, unprotected sex. But when we look at the data, we see this is because they had higher rates of new partner uptake rather than less consistent condom use. And this means that the behaviour of backpackers, um, according to our study, whether they're male or female, whether they were travelling for a short period of time or a long period of time, was broadly similar. And actually, what, what makes male backpackers more likely to have an unprotected sexual encounter is the fact that they report having more sexual contacts or higher levels of new sexual partners compared with females. That's interesting. And what about um, sexual mixing? So where the partners were from? So we, I think in, in that cell, we asked um, people where their partners were living. So what kind of region they lived in. Um, and we found that um, around a third of men and half of women reported partners from the UK. Um, not necessarily only from the UK, but reported at least one partner from the UK. But we actually found um, in our data set that the majority of people uh, reported one or more partner from outside the UK. Um, and I just wondered how that compares to what you found Sure. So interestingly, the previous literature that's been published on this suggests that um, backpackers and travellers tend to engage in um, sex with either other travellers from their home country or from their location, their destination. In this study, we asked backpackers whether their new sexual partners were either from their home country, backpackers from a different country, or local people, so that's people living in Thailand. And what we found is that 85% of people who engaged in sex with a new partner um, did so with a, a backpacker from a different country. And as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, this provides very clear evidence of um, a bridging effect where sexually transmitted infections could move from one population group to another. And this was, this was identical in both female and male backpackers. Uh, we found that females were slightly more likely than males to have um, sex with a backpacker from their home country, uh, although this wasn't statistically significant. And we found that men were much more likely than women to have sex with a local person. However, we can't, we can't completely attribute this to sex work as... Um, Local people may also have been either foreign expatriates, um, foreign workers who were working in Thailand but not originally from Thailand. And of course they might have been non-commercial encounters with Thai people. However, it is an interesting observation that um, according to our, our data, 45% of men who had sex with a new partner had sex with a local person um, compared with 13% of women. That is interesting. And, and um, just following up on that point, when we compare the people who in that cell who reported only having sex with um, partners from the UK versus having sex with um, at least one person who lived outside the UK, we found that that varied by um, ethnicity. So people who, um, white British people were much more likely to report uh, sex with people from the UK, for example. So other ethnicities were more likely to report partners, um, at least one partner from outside the UK. Um, people were also more likely to report partners within the UK from outside the UK. So people coming into the UK reporting having sex in the UK with people from overseas. Um, and they also were more likely to report having paid for sex. So a quarter of our men who reported um, one or more partner from outside the UK 
reported that they'd paid for sex in the last five years um, and they reported that they'd ever paid for sex abroad. Unfortunately, we don't know um, whether they'd paid for sex abroad in the past five years, but a quarter of men reported that, which is quite interesting. And I think, yeah, in terms of um, kind of the travel patterns, I think probably in many ways the our data kind of confirms the travel patterns so people are most commonly reporting partners from either the UK or from other European countries um, but we did find that Asia um, featured quite highly um, particularly among men probably more than you might expect from travel patterns um, which might suggest uh, sex tourism or something how does is there anything um, you can add more on that or have you? We were quite surprised by this finding because we when we were preparing for this study, um, we had anticipated that backpackers would be a very discreet population than um, traditional sex tourists. Um, unfortunately, our questionnaire didn't ask specifically about paying for sex. Uh, it's something that we overlooked in the planning stage. Uh, but this, these data suggest that there might be some overlap between groups. And it may be that people who go and travel and identify as backpackers may also engage in commercial sex or it might also mean that some of the participants in our study uh, although they were happy to define themselves as backpackers in terms of participating and filling in the questionnaire might have been traveling with the intention of um, engaging in commercial sex. In terms of like uh, I guess age differences in terms of younger and older people um, we see a bit of a gender difference in that so so it's less common, as you said as well, for older people um, to have a new sexual partner while overseas. But um, in terms of our data, it still makes up around one in 10 of older. When I say older, I mean 35 and above, which really isn't that old, <laughs> but older, <laughs> older men's partnerships, um, which is actually quite similar to younger men. And actually in older men, among those who've had a partner while overseas, around half the partnerships were overseas. And Although on average they're reporting um, a lower number of partners, the distribution is really quite skewed in the older men. So there's a group of men reporting uh, high numbers of partners while they're overseas. Um, they're clearly a group who are potentially quite high risk. Um, and I wonder how much they feed into that um, paid sex group. Um, one of the limitations of the study that we undertook was that we were only on location for about six to eight weeks. And so we were looking at travel behaviour at one particular time of year. Uh, now, it may be that from January to March, the demographic makeup and the occupational background and potentially socioeconomic background of the backpackers that we met wouldn't be representative of all backpackers over the whole year. For example, we didn't encounter many British university students, and that makes perfect sense because between January and March, the majority of them will be at university studying. Um, whereas in contrast, uh, we met a lot of people who declared that they were seasonal workers, which means that, for example, if you're, if you're a carpenter, then there's potentially much less work during the winter months than in the summer. And so the occupational background and potentially socioeconomic background of our backpacking group might have also led to a potential correlation in the uptake of commercial sex work. That's so different from the NATSAL data where we're talking about, you know, a five-year period, um, mm. kind of mm. people travelling over five years and whether they may have had a partner. And you're talking about this very small three-month period, which could be 
yeah which where there's potentially so much change it makes you realize the benefit of having both of these different types of data really and and you know clearly you know a lot about um the backpackers do you think that they're a special group you know the backpackers and the gap year travelers are they a particular group absolutely i think the one of the characteristics of the backpacker population is uh, in general backpackers have much greater social interaction with other backpackers from all parts of the world and by its nature I suppose that um, that lends itself to a greater degree of sexual mixing um, as such it's a um, it's a group which I think deserves public health attention specifically uh, because it has such a so much potential um, to to offer a, a route for halting the the international spread of um, of STIs. So in in terms of um, health messages, we discussed earlier that people travel for lots of different reasons and therefore probably have sex in uh, lots of different contexts. Um, And I was kind of thinking about this in terms of STI risk. So for some people, that's not going to put them at higher STI risk. Whereas for others, that combination of um, sex with alcohol um, and drugs maybe could put them at risk of STIs or unplanned pregnancy. I remember reading in your paper about um, condoms. Do you want to talk about your your condom finding? Because I think this all relates to preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. So we found that backpackers who didn't bring condoms from home uh, were twice as likely to engage in unsafe sex with a new sexual partner as those who did bring condoms from home. Now, it's also worth noting that around a third of people who brought condoms from home and had sex with a, a, a new partner, didn't use them consistently. Um, but nonetheless, this group is is clearly a group that's that's thought about their risk-taking behaviour and has taken steps to try and mitigate the the risks involved. And I think um, it's particularly it's particularly important to target this. Uh, we also noted that there was a much much lower level of female backpackers who had brought condoms from home uh, than males. And that may be due to all sorts of reasons and social pressures and so forth. Um, but I think it's really it would be really valuable to destigmatize um, condom carrying and really encourage backpackers to to do so, uh, in order that they don't suffer from the the, the long term impacts of um, of sexually transmitted diseases. And from a public health point of view, to prevent the spread of diseases internationally. I think that's a really important point that you make about. Um there's social pressure that means that people might not buy condoms because it'd be quite nice if we all had a list of um of things that we needed to do before we went on holiday you know we need to buy our sun cream we need to have our injections we need to um get our mosquito nets or whatever and we need to buy our condoms and um (laughs) just as a package of preparedness in a sense for going away um and I think you know I think that's something that can be promoted by healthcare professionals in sexual health clinics and also in in travel clinic settings yeah definitely i think that's something that um that could be really encouraged and i think there's a place for novel intervention here as well rather than waiting for backpackers to come to clinics and places where we traditionally provide healthcare i wonder if there's a place there to provide intervention either in airports as people leave or on location the the important thing is to make it easy to access I think education, certainly in the UK, is is good enough that most people are aware that using a condom significantly reduces their risk of contracting an STI. But I think the the job of 
public health professionals and healthcare professionals like ourselves is to bring those measures to travellers in order to help them to, to make those decisions. Absolutely. And I think probably, you know, we were talking earlier about alcohol and drugs and um, and perhaps that, you know, that kind of education, those messages, you know, need to be part of a, a kind of holistic advice, really. So addressing sex within the context of other behaviours. But it has to be palatable as well. And I think there's very much a, a danger of scaring people away if you slap them on the wrist and tell them not to have fun. Uh, and oh, I think a, a, a pragmatic approach to that is really, really vital. I guess the other thing I also wanted to plug is there's the older people, and I'm putting myself in this group, who are really not that old, over 35. Um, and I think often when we're thinking about, um, particularly now, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about back backpackers, most of them are younger. But, you know, we did find in that cell that, you know, one in 20 men, one in 40 women over 35 had a new partner while overseas. So I, and I also think so we shouldn't be forgetting the older people and make sure that you know, everybody has access to the information and has access to, um, to the condoms, regardless of their age and regardless of why they're traveling. And, and, and Chris, how, if you were to put your, you've clearly picked up backpackers from all over the world. Um, and if you're kind of to, to look at this data from another angle, so um, putting this in context with what's happening in other countries, um, is there, does that kind of illuminate the situation at all? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting looking at all of this from an international perspective as well. So mm -hmm. I've got in front of me the Canadian public health data, um, mm -hmm. which says that rates of um, rates of sexually transmitted infections, um, specifically chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, are climbing, um, but are still lower than in the UK um, and in other parts of the world. And this ties in interestingly with our data which suggests that Canadian backpackers, although they report, more Canadians report having a new sexual partner when they travel, mm. uh, they report much, much greater consistency with their condom use. I think there's a, there's a need here mm. for, for international understanding and perhaps cultural understanding of what, firstly, is this, is this artifact? Is this a statistical blip? Or is this a, a real effect? And is there something, some sort of public health intervention in Canada, which we can borrow? Um, so I think there's there's a real place here for intervention in starting to understand um, why it is that Canadian young people, in particular, um, may maybe maybe more consistent with their condom use. So Claire, what what kind of practical advice would you give to? people and where, where should they look? What sources of information are there available? I think clearly if somebody has experienced sexual risk behaviour, then they should go for a sexual health checkup. But that applies, you know, irrelevant of where people have had had that sex and whether they have any symptoms. It's just good, um, good management. Um, and then in terms of sources of advice, I think you made a really good point earlier, Chris, about needing to approach people in lots of different settings. Uh, you know, I guess from the more the more traditional um, advice settings would be the local sexual health clinics, either from the GP or um, perhaps even the NHS website, which I think does have um, a good page on sex on holiday, which is clearly uh, particularly relevant to this conversation. Sure, Claire, I think that's all really relevant and um, useful information. And hopefully we'll be able to add some links to this podcast so that anyone listening can, can follow that up and have a look. It's been a real, uh, a real privilege to be able to discuss this work today and I hope, um, I hope it's been interesting as a listener 
Um, so thank you for thank you for taking the time. Uh, I understand that both our papers will be available um, on the Sexually Transmitted Infections website. And of course, you're more than welcome to get in touch with the contact details provided on those manuscripts.